good morning and welcome to the Ninth Circuit. Uh, today, Judge Thomas and I are very thankful for Judge Oliver to join us from the Northern District of Ohio. Thank you very much for uh, the help uh, this week. Um, we have a number of cases that are submitted. Uh, they are Barbosa Gomez versus Garland, Solguero Alvarez versus Garland, and Garindo Ruiz versus Garland. Those cases are submitted. We have uh, three cases today that we will hear uh, oral argument on. The first is Pardo Tree versus Sacramento. Uh, so let's see. If we could have Mr. Jensen start. Good morning, Your Honors. Good morning. If it may please the court, I'd like to reserve five minutes for rebuttal. Very well. Uh, make sure you keep track of your time. We'll try to help you out, but keep track of your time. Certainly. Uh, Your Honor, I am aware that by now the court has read the briefs and the clerks have circulated bench memos, and you don't, you don't want me to just reiterate uh, arguments that are brought in the briefs. So I will limit myself to raising a couple of additional points. One is, after the briefing closed, the Seventh Circuit decided a case. Uh, it was an appeal of an injunction on a... Uh, denial of a preliminary injunction on a cannabis licensing case. The Seventh Circuit did not abstain in that case, but ruled uh, abstention was not raised. However, abstention was not raised in Peridot Tree, either the court raised it sua sponte. Um, there was another case which has limited value in, the, in New York. The district court enjoined the entire state of New York's cannabis licensing program. That was appealed to the Second Circuit. Uh, while that was on appeal, the government filed a motion to stay the injunction. Uh, the court denied that motion. They modified the injunction left in place, and after that, the party settled. So the Second Circuit never went all the way through to deciding the appeal, so it has a limited value. But today, no circuit has abstained in a cannabis licensing. Uh, well, let's see. The district court in this case did abstain, and, and could, you, could you point to what the district court's thinking was, uh, which particular doctrine they um, they they found closest uh, closest match uh, on the abstention. Well, Your Honor, the court was transparent that this didn't fit into any established bucket. They did it uh, based on uh, two things that I believe were the keys. One is they said that the plaintiff was asking the court to open Sacramento to out-of-state cannabis sellers, which, for the reasons I discussed in the brief, was not correct. It's already open. The second is they said that um, there should be. Uh, two things. One, if there were state challenges, which for the reasons in the briefs we don't believe there are. And secondly, they said that uh, the court said that the state court should take first pass at the Dormant Commerce Clause challenge. So, so if it didn't fit into any one particular um, abstention doctrine, then um, didn't it lack the discretion under Fireman Fund to, uh, to uh, abstain? Your Honor, I'd agree with that. So are there any... Uh, <coughs> Uh, refresh me. At the time of the briefing, there were no state proceedings. Uh, is there any update on that? Uh, in this case in particular? Yes. Uh, no, the, the entire action has been stayed, so no proceedings at this time. When you say stayed, are you talking about the federal action or this, any, any, is there anything pending in state that was stayed? No, nothing has been taken to state Nothing court. filed in state? No, and in fact, um, I, I think if we were to file in state court, we'd have to take a look at the statute of limitations. I'm not sure that's even available at this point. Do you think uh, there are any circumstances where a kind of a abstention doctrine, kind of penumbra, you know, that kind of thing, where it's not really abstention, but 
in terms of recognized doctrine, but there is some discretion. Is that ever, is that ever possible? Your Honor, I don't believe at the district court level. The uh, abstention doctrines have to come from somewhere, but they're generally at a court of appeal or a Supreme Court. Uh, as the district court acknowledged, there is a virtually unflagging responsibility to exercise jurisdiction. And I would point out that an economic protectionism case such as this is exactly the kind of case that should not be in front of an elected state court judge. A Michigan individual does not vote for Sacramento judges, um, but a Michigan resident's dormant commerce clause rights need to be protected. Well, I think, uh, you know, abstention doctrines do emanate from the district courts and the circuit courts because other, the, the Supreme Court doesn't make it up on its own. So I think what the, what the district court was doing here, it seems to me, was to saying, look, I'm, I, it doesn't fit neatly into any existing doc, doctrine, but I think there should be an abstention doctrine uh, based on comedy and the fact that there are significant state interests here. That's the way I read it. Your Honor, that is correct. However, I would point out the state interest, um, I think the district court was incorrect on that. The district court talked about excluding out-of-state sellers. As we've explained in the brief at length, uh, the state cannabis licenses are already open out-of-state. This is about the 10 remaining uh, retail licenses, and in fact, it's only about 51% ownership. In the initial pass, a current or former Sacramento resident has to receive the license. They can then sell as much as 49% to any person anywhere in the country. So when the state said that this is about um, excluding out-of-state sellers, that is not correct. And again, I point out, this case has nothing to do with cannabis products crossing state line. This is limited to economic investment, which is already allowable. At the state level, there are no restrictions whatsoever. And at the city level, there are no restrictions on cultivation, on manufacturing, on distribution, on 30 out of the 40 retail licenses or on 49% of the remaining 10 licenses. Uh, it's solely about who will get those 10 licenses in the first instance. I also point out that Amicus Brief, who filed a Amicus Brief here that said there would be a parade of horribles if the Dormant Commerce Clause did not apply and the city is not allowed to exclude out-of-state sellers. They themselves filed uh, letters with the Attorney General in support of opening California's borders to cannabis products crossing state line, not just investment, which is already allowed. Again, that is not raised in this case, but that is where things are going. And I think uh, Amicus is disingenuous when they say uh, that it would be a problem for the state or the city if, if uh, the Dormant Commerce Clause applies. Part of the district court's concerns seem to be between, in, in the tension between federal and state law with respect to cannabis. Uh, and I believe, if I recall correctly, the district court said, uh, I'm not sure there's a market for an illegal product, a product that would be illegal, an interstate market for a product that would be illegal under federal law. What Your do you Honor, make of that? Your Honor, that's been addressed by the Supreme Court. The first one I'm aware of was the wheat case where a farmer um, grew his quota and separately grew an amount just for his own livestock. And the court said, by not participating in a market, uh, you are affecting the market. That was a legal market. But then in, I believe it's Gonzalez versus Rage, uh, the Supreme Court said that even four plants grown by a person for personal medical use by a cancer patient affects the interstate commerce in, um, in uh cannabis, even though it's in the legal market. I, I point out again, though, Your Honor, that this case is not about products crossing state lines. This is solely about uh, investment from out of state. Correct. Yeah. So I, I don't think the appellee argued Thibodeau, but um, 
the amicus did argue that they thought Thibodeau applied here. Can you briefly just... I'm, I'm sorry, I couldn't quite hear you. Could you please repeat that? Yes. I don't think the appellee argued that, that Thibodeau abstention applied, but I think the amicus uh, did argue that. Can you quickly just respond to that? Uh, Your Honor, I don't have the Thibodeau in my notes uh, precisely, but the two, the two main doctrines were, one, if there is a sensitive state policy, um, here, you know, it, this has nothing to do with whether cannabis is going to be sold, uh, where it's sold, the taxation, the cost of it, the distance between. This is solely who is going to be a minority owner of the license. I would analogize, I don't think people care when they go to McDonald's who owns a franchise. They just care about getting their hamburger. I don't think there's a sensitive state policy here since this doesn't affect the cannabis sales itself. The other doctrine comes from the Pullman line um, where the, the issue is if something would be mooted by if the, if the constitutional challenge would be mooted by a state law challenge. And here, as you showed in the brief, there is no state law challenge. The uh, government would like me to run on a fool's errand about two uh, claims that are brought under um, a rational basis review. And we've never said there's no rational basis under um, for what the state's doing. But there, this, this cannot survive constitutional scrutiny under Dormant Commerce Clause challenge. Well, in Thibodeau, uh, which is not... Uh relied on very very much for the courts but it, even though it's been on the books since 59 uh, the Supreme Court approved a district court's decision to abstain uh, where state law apportioning power between the city and the state was uncertain and any decision by the federal district court would affect state sovereignty that's the Thibodeau doctrine uh, yes your honor I, I, I would have to go back and review the facts I think that may be the case where the, the government had set up a different uh, scheme for appeals on uh, something to do with uh, utility licensing, but whether I'm right on that or not, um, you're asking whether it's a sensitive state issue, and I believe it is not for the reason I've said, which is, first of all, it, you know, if I'm going to distinguish between the state and the city, this has nothing to do with state law whatsoever. This has no effect on anything by the state of California. And as far as uh, the city goes, again, this won't affect anything customer-facing uh, or tax basing or anything. This is simply about minority ownership of uh, 10 licenses. Uh, Your Honor, I am about at the time I wish to reserve. I just want to make a couple uh, last points. Um, I realize it has to be tempting to just think maybe I can wait out the clock. The federal government will make it legal and moot this. Um, I would ask the court to not do that. Uh, everybody thought cannabis would be federally legal before the 2020 election. When that didn't happen, they thought certainly after. Uh, right now, HHS has all but guaranteed that they're going to reschedule cannabis from Schedule 1 to Schedule 3, which would take uh, that movement, I think, would take political pressure off for the election. So I think it's far from certain that federal legalization is coming anytime soon, and we don't want to wait on our rights uh, for an indeterminate amount of time. Um, Council, do you want to reserve the rest of your time? I do. Thank you. Very well. <clears throat> Mr. Rossecker. Good morning. Good morning. Lee Roy Stacker for the appellees. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, before I start into sort of what I plan to argue today, I want to make one clarification, I think, in the briefing. Um, with respect to the claims that could be brought in state court. Um, the briefing sort of indicates that it might be limited to uh, constitutional challenges, but there certainly are other challenges that could be brought in state court. Uh, ministry of Writ of Mandate, 
um, traditional mandate, challenging the uh, authority of the city under uh, the state regulatory scheme to uh, en enact um, residue restrictions in its, in its program. So I just wanted to make that clear. Um, I was just throwing out, or we were just throwing out two potential examples, and I think it's broader than that. But here the district court really, I mean, I, I thought there was a very um, thoughtful examination of all the different um, doctrines that could p potentially uh, apply. And I think the conclusion was that none of them really applied. So at that stage, when, when not one particular doctrine does apply, do we, uh, can uh, we then step away and say, uh, sorry, we're, we're going to abstain? Or aren't we um, required to, to, in fact, uh, answer the question? I, um, I do think um, Pullman abstention applies, but let's assume that it doesn't. Um, th there's no precedent um, from the Supreme Court or this court saying that a district court must categorically not abstain if a case doesn't fit squarely or neatly in any of the um, recognized or named abstention doctrines. Uh, I mean, they only become named um, after the Supreme Court names them. So at some point, there was always a, an abstention decision. Counsel, I, I, your, your last statement I'm not so sure squares with Farm and Fund. There, the court held that the district court has no discretion to abstain in cases that do not meet the requirements of the abstention doctrine. I guess I don't understand your previous statement. I, well, I believe what that case says is the abstention doctrine relied on. Right, but I mean, I think if you want to shift your argument a bit, why should we, why should we endorse a new abstention doctrine if that's, if that's what we're doing? when we have case law that says that the district courts have an unflagging duty uh, to decide cases. Sure. Well, again, the Supreme Court um, and this court ha have said that abstention doesn't have to necessarily fit into the pigeonhole. Correct. But why, why, should, why should we well, endorse a new doctrine? Well, I, I think... What, what's the compelling reason in this case? Well, the compelling reason in this case is Sacramento has um, instituted a program um, to an equity program to try to alleviate um, the past uh, disproportionate prosecution or penalization of uh, marijuana laws when it was illegal within the city. And by doing that, they're, they're trying to get a segment of the population involved in the cannabis business. Well, well, let me just follow up. Do you have any case in which this circuit has affirmed a district court's decision to abstain outside of the traditional abstention doctrines? I, I don't think that there is a case, um, but I will note that the Gilbertson decision, an in-bank decision, talked about how it's not a pigeonhole. Um, what's important, the key is the balance between the um, parallel systems of government and to try to preclude or, or try to alleviate the tensions that might exist between the federal courts and state and local legislatures. But I, I will concede, I don't, I don't believe there is a case that has ever proffered the argument or, or addressed the argument that's really proffered here is whether it's categorically um, an abuse of discretion or an error of law to rely on an abstention doctrine or, or to abstain where there, it doesn't fit squarely within the abstention doctrine's you know, holes or, or, or elements. 
I will, you know, I will say in Noel, this, this court's case, um, the, the quote is, you know, a district court can stay proceedings based on comedy, even where none of the abstention doctrines require that it do so. Um, so there is certainly in, 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 these court, in this court's decisions and in the Supreme Court's decisions a recognition that there may be a case where abstention should be applied, but it doesn't fit neatly in any of the established doctrines. Did the First Circuit err in its uh, decision in Northeast Patients Group uh, to decide the issue, that same issue that's being essentially presented here today? Well, I, I don't know if they erred, um, it, and I'm assuming you mean no, not— No, they, they went to the merits. They didn't right. address the abstention, but they, they actually went to the merits. Correct. Were they wrong? According to the dissent, they were wrong. Um, but what that was the dissent? <laughs> well, I, I think there is a problem. Um, there's a fundamental conflict between the, the Controlled Substances Act and what the states are trying to do in terms of marijuana. Um, if you're asking me— if it was a Commerce Clause violation or a violation of the Dormant Commerce Clause, of course, that's not the issue we're here for today. But um, I, I would say that um, there's a, a justification apart from economic protectionism that underlies what the city was trying to do here. And, it, it, and in reality, it, it's 10 out of 40 storefront dispensaries that have, um, you know, in two, two classifications out of the five in the system that have a residency requirement. Um, out-of-state people are free to participate in every other aspect of uh, Sacramento's marijuana uh, or cannabis <clears throat> distribution, sale, production scheme. Right, but to my question, though, um, uh, your answer is that there's a tension, but there's no, they're, they're, they were wrong? <coughs> Well, I, well, in my opinion, I, they were wrong. I don't, okay. I don't think they should have decided the question. Well, so strike that. I think, I, I think that it does not violate the Dormant Commerce Clause, at least Sacramento's. I, I'm not exactly entirely familiar with the, or I can't recall the the exact parameters of the. Um, I think it was it. I don't remember the state. Maine. Maine, Maine maybe. I don't remember their entire scheme. Um, but you know. There could be different results based on different, you know, uh, schemes set out by different states or localities, um, and depending on what the reason was for them. So you think Pullman abstention applies? Tell me why. I do. Um, well, I don't think there's any question that the constitutional claim here touches on a sensitive area of social policy. I think that's pretty clear. But why is the state best suited? Why is the state best suited to address this? Well, I, I think that it, it, if a court is going to, well, it's a matter of sovereignty, I think, comedy and federalism. You know, states are, are able to legislate and govern at a local level, or lo, lo, smaller government, local governments at a local level, state governments at a state level. Um, and, and to me, if a court is going to totally undo Sacramento's um, attempts to create equity in the marijuana trade, uh, it should be a state court. Uh, I, I think a federal court doing that is exactly the tension, um, and, and the, is exactly the tension that comedy and federalism seek to try to avoid. And it, it's simply, you know, it's a stay. Um, it's not a dismissal. 
plaintiff always has the opportunity to come back which which claims which claims based on state law do you think if we if they were decided by state tribunal would obviate the need to to decide the federal issue well federal question clearly well apart from any particular claim clearly any any claim that succeeds in invalidating the residency requirement in in Sacramento scheme obviates the need to come in and say it violates the dormant commerce clause in federal court because it wouldn't exist anymore yeah but you you gotta you gotta have something specific in mind well I'm the ones that I set forth in my brief were the constitutional claims under the California Constitution but I do think there are others the reply brief for instance sort of takes the it seems to take the 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 tone of there's no state statutes that that set out any residency versus non-residency requirement it almost seems like the argument is that it Sacramento wasn't allowed to do that because the state didn't set up that sort of potential discrepancy or potential if we follow this analysis so what you're what you would be asking though is that litigants sort of resolve any and all potential state law claim issues then at some point to address the federal issues and come back to federal court is that what you're saying what we're talking in the context of this case correct correct marijuana well I mean there certainly could resolve or litigate the dormant commerce clause in state court they don't have to but that's certainly why are they best suited to address that than the federal court well I don't think I don't think the test is that whether they're best suited to address the commerce clause claim they're best suited to direct to address whether the residency requirement is legal or is appropriate under state law and the purpose is simply it's not how does that affect the dormant commerce clause question well it's not the the idea of the Pullman abstention is not to resolve the constitutional question in state court necessarily one-on-one or you know exactly the same it's whether it will narrow or eliminate the question and my point is simply if they go to state court and make a challenge to the residency requirement whatever the challenge is based on if that's successful and a court a state court says you can't have a residency requirement well then the dormant commerce clause challenge in this case is essentially moot there's nothing that there's nothing pending in state court that's the problem with this case yeah I mean basically I think you're arguing for an exhaustion requirement well you you kind of are I don't I don't think I am but Pullman abstention doesn't require a case to be pending in state court it does require uncertain state law what's uncertain about state law I think that whether or not a residency requirement in a marijuana scheme is uncertain because it hasn't been addressed so they're going to be forced to raise that question I believe so I mean I think that's the purpose of the abstention doctrine is to deal with these things in state court if it potentially eliminates the need for a federal court to invalidate something a state legislature or a local legislature it's done so there's nothing pending how long is the state gonna last if we agree with you years well I don't think the district court would be entirely happy with it lasting years 
I mean, the order was that we were supposed to report, I think, every 150 days or every 160 days, but I kind of assume that means after this court um, makes its decision, but I, I, my understanding is the district court wants plaintiff or the appellants to try in state court. I mean... To give up their... Give up the case they brought in federal court, essentially, for now, and then go down and raise some state law claims and issues that they had no interest in, in raising. That is correct. But, I, I mean, that happens in abstention cases all the time, particularly in Pullman abstention. You know, there, there are strategic reasons, probably, for, for some parties not to challenge in state court things they can challenge and then proceed to federal court. And, I mean, I, I think that's one of the... One of the purposes of the Pullman abstention and the underlying theory behind all abstention doctrines is, is, to, is to alleviate the tension and to try to eliminate um, an unseemly looking result of a federal court invalidating um, something that a, a state or local government do, has done um, under its sovereign powers. Uh, and if... Uh, it, one point I want to make, I um, only have a couple minutes left, but the, the assertion that's been made that there are no quote-unquote laws or regulations at issue here, I, I, it's sort of interesting to me. I mean, apart from the fact that um, at paragraph 25 in the, in the First Amendment complaint, um, it alleges, defend, quote, defendants enacted laws, close quote, um, that violate the Dormant Commerce Clause. Um, but Comedy and federalism don't require the issue to be directed specifically at an enacted statute, formal statute of regulations. Um, it's all it's about the the recognition that recognition that um, state and local governments can self-govern. If there are any other questions, I'll submit. Thank you. Thank you, Council. Judge Mendoza asked about the tension between the CSA and uh, the Dormant Commerce Clause. Uh, I would point out that the CSA, under the government's interpretation, essentially renders uh, the appellant's constitutional rights a nullity. It's, it just wipes the Dormant Commerce Clause away. To say that the Dormant Commerce Clause will have no effect until the CSA is modified is to say the CSA overrides uh, the client's constitutional rights. Um, I also want to point out that an abstention will leave the plaintiffs without a remedy. Uh, right now, Washington State is holding an unconstitutional uh, dormant commerce clause, uh, an unconstitutional cannabis licensing program. Uh, that one is going to be challenged shortly. Uh, a, a party cannot obtain damages from monetary damages from a state. So, why do you say that? Eleventh Amendment. Oh, I mean from the state itself. But but your 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 uh, your, your uh, argument is with the city. It is in this case. I'm yes. saying I know that the Washington. Right. But is I mean, going you have a remedy, and, and, but I'm, I'm gathering you're representing to us that you do not, on behalf of your clients, intend to pursue any state remedies. Is that right? No, 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 Your Honor. I was, I was to, in this case. I know you're talking about Washington, but right. that's not this case. Right. In this case, the remedy, um, if the stay is in place, would only be to seek damages afterwards, because I can't imagine, as a matter of equity that the court is going to unwind the licenses years after they've been granted and, and redistribute them. Uh, as far as Pullman and state court challenges, uh, you saw that the, 
the government cannot provide a state court basis. They said something effective. It would be a challenge to the residency requirement, whatever that would be. They had a chance at the district court in multiple briefs. They couldn't come up with one. They had challenge here on the briefs. The only thing they could come up with was two rational basis claims that we have no intention of bringing. And here in court, they can't give any claim. In fact, Judge Oliver put it to him, what is a specific claim? And the specific claim is whatever that would be. One of the judges, I'm sorry, I've forgotten which one, brought up that it doesn't fit squarely within any current abstention doctrine. Does that mean the district court has no ability to abstain? I would point out that the district court's abstention in this case was based on a misunderstanding of both the facts and the state cannabis law. And we explained that in detail in the brief. But the district court was just flat out wrong. They said that we are trying to open Sacramento's borders to out-of-state cannabis sales. And for the reasons we explained at length, that is not correct. And this has no effect on any provision whatsoever of California state law. It has no effect on any provision of Sacramento law. Sacramento doesn't have regulations. And it has, the only effect is on the people who can put their applications in. So instead of 106 applications to review, Sacramento would have to review more. The council also said that it should be allowable because there is a compelling state reason to have the local residency restriction. I would point out that's on the substance. That's not an argument towards abstention. That needs to be brought at the district court. But the reason that they gave is they have a compelling state interest in rewarding people who were convicted of cannabis crimes in Sacramento. I don't concede that that's a legitimate purpose. But if it is, the Dormant Commerce Clause is clear. You don't get to pick your preferred way of solving that local purpose. You have to do it only if there is no other possible way. We gave plenty of examples in the brief of other methods they could have used. They chose this one. They decide we want to reserve our licenses for our local people. And they say, well, because we want to do that, that's a local purpose. And therefore, we should be able to do it. But the Dormant Commerce Clause law is clear. You can prefer your local residence only if there is no other way to deal with that local purpose. And we gave examples in the brief of the way they could. Unless the court has other questions, I will submit. Any questions? Thank you, Your Honors. All right. Thank you. This case will stand submitted. Thank you, both counsel, for your arguments today.